welcome to the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. I am your host, Elizabeth Heinemann, and I'm here with a co-host, a very special co-host. Elizabeth Woodson. And this month on Marked, we are doing a fun new mini-series all about Lifeway Women Academy. Each episode of this series, we'll talk to a Lifeway Women Academy teacher about her journey into theological education and how studying theology has marked her in her walk with Christ. And if you're interested in joining Lifeway Women Academy, if you're interested in learning how to study the Bible and teach the Bible in a flexible, affordable format, you can go to lifeway.com academy and enter the promo code MARKED for $10 off the registration of your first Lifeway Women Academy. Academy course. Now, Lifeway Women Academy courses are online courses for women by women. So when you sign up for a course, you'll gain immediate and indefinite access to teaching sessions from some of today's top theologians with deep dives into topics such as how to study the Bible for yourself, what we believe, and more. Plus, you can take these courses at your own pace and revisit the content whenever you'd like. You can learn more and discover current course offerings today at lifeway.com backslash academy. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heinemann, and I'm here with my co-host, Elizabeth Woodson. Hey, y'all. We're going to get into a lot of confusion, I feel like, uh, with Elizabeth, but it's okay. And we are also here with Jen Wilkin. Hello, Jen. Hey, how are you guys? Good. Doing good. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. I know you've been on the podcast several times, but if we get some new listeners or just tell us what's been going on recently. You've had a lot of life happen recently, so just give us an update. (laughs) I have indeed. I had a sabbatical. It was my first one I've ever had. And from what I understand, they're supposed to be restful. Uh, But man, mine was a roller coaster. It was good. I was glad I was able to focus completely on the family that I needed to um, spend time with. But um, my daughter had a baby at the beginning and then my dad had some health concerns in the middle. And then my other daughter got married at the end. So it was just like flying all over to be with people and helping everyone. And um, so, and, and just a roller coaster, but um, I really was glad to have some time away for it. So I'm not sure what I'm going to call you guys. I'm going to, should I call you EW and EH? I'm that super works. confused. That works. <laughs> yeah, that, that works. works. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll try to remember. <laughs> now, Jen, you have talked about this before in many different places, um, but can you just tell us more about your journey to theological education and kind of this place of how you learned on your own about these topics that you're passionate about, theological education and biblical literacy? Yeah, well, I would imagine the listeners who know who I am know me as a Bible teacher and one who teaches like all over the place. And I'm often, people will say, oh, you're a Bible expert. And I'm like, whoa, let's not say that <clears throat> because I don't know that any of us ever feels like a Bible expert. And uh, I think I probably have a harder time reconciling that term next to my name than others just because I know the path that brought me here. And that was serving in the local church and walking toward whatever opportunity I saw that needed someone to come and step in and fill a space. And so I started teaching probably like a lot of our listeners who are teaching have done by just saying yes to a need and then realizing I didn't have the resources that I needed to feel confident that I could that I could fulfill the, the requirements of the role that was there. And so, um, 
I was always learning sort of on the fly. I uh, Luckily, I had enough contact with um, good teaching to know that there were resources out there. I just didn't have necessarily good access to them. But my 30th birthday, my husband gave me, I got it down just so I could show everybody who's <laughs> watching on our video, but he gave me Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology. Aww. You can see I still have all my markers in there because I still use it. Um, because I knew that um, while I had some skill in in reading the Bible because I had a background of an English degree, I didn't necessarily have lenses through which to understand it properly. I didn't necessarily know what just basic Christian doctrine was. And those are the two things that you really need. You need literacy skills, and then you also need a sense of what the church of all time has said. These things are true and clear that we see from the scriptures. So um, I just basically was was reaching out to my pastor or uh, asking my husband what he was reading or other people who were at the church that I was at. Um, could they help me or going to conferences and going wandering through the bookstore to see what was there? Um, but it felt pretty hit or miss. And it was sort of like choose your own adventure. A lot of times I would I would have a lot of knowledge about whatever I was teaching, but not necessarily any knowledge about the areas that I hadn't had a chance to teach yet. What ways, because you, what ways have you found um, the education that you had gotten mm-hmm. to be able to help you teach the Bible better? Because I think sometimes women can say, oh, "I don't have a theological degree, mm-hmm. so my um, education degree, or you have an English degree, or yeah. MBA, mm-hmm. won't help me for the mm-hmm. ministry work that I'm doing." And kind of, mm-hmm. how have you found that to be true? Mm-hmm. Or not well, to be Eli- true. <laughs> Elizabeth Woodson and I have joked about she has an accounting degree and I have an MBA and we have laughed about how those two degrees have actually been rather helpful in a, in a large church setting more than one might have thought. Uh, yeah. Um, so I would say that since we're all a part of the Great Commission, we all have sources of help in our background that can help us to fulfill the call to teach others to observe all that he has commanded. And they may come from unexpected sources. And so, you know, you think about the church as the body and how each of us brings something a little different to it. Um, Now, in my case, I think an English degree was particularly suited to reading the Bible, looking for ways to teach literacy to learners, because In our culture, we don't just have a Bible literacy crisis that's within the church. We have a literacy crisis that exists within um, society at large, which is why you can see so many people arguing on the internet, frankly, because we, it's not just that we don't know how to read the Bible. uh, It's that we really just don't know how to read. We don't know how to build uh, critically thought out arguments. And so we're guided by uh, the way that we felt about what we read or what we thought it meant to us. You know, you think about that classic question that comes up in small group of what did this verse mean to you? And that is what many of us have been trained into in terms of Bible reading. So the English degree helped a lot just in terms of saying, wait, wait, that's actually just, we just need to read for comprehension. That's where we need to start before we can move on to these other levels of understanding. But I do think for all of us, you know, there are things that the Lord has given us exposure to, um, things in the past that we've had to explain to others or ways of explaining things to make them clear that can, can help us in any discussion that we have around the things of God, if we're paying attention. Yeah. 
And you heard it here first. Um, you can <laughs> use your English degree, everyone. I say <laughs> yes. that as a yeah. fellow English yeah. major. Yeah. yeah, It is helpful it, in life. <laughs> Heinemann and I are, are pretty committed to the value of our liberal arts degrees as well. So. <laughs> I actually I think we my, were both like, can I get a job? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. They assured me when I signed up for that degree program that I could get a job because it would teach me how to think. But then shortly after, I was not so sure that the whole world knew that. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> but I have an English degree. I know how to think and write emails. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So our first course is kind of along these same lines. Our first course is How to Study the Bible, Hermeneutics mm-hmm. 101. And it's a subject that you're passionate about, like we talked about. So why is it yep. important for women to know how to study scripture for themselves? I mean, we have all these resources, mm-hmm. but why is it important for a woman to know how to do that herself, how to dive in, how to do hermeneutics? Mm-hmm. Well, critical thinking is something that has to be done personally before it can be done in a shared space. And so um, we have to have firsthand knowledge of our own Bibles in order to have good conversations about them. So when I say you should know how to study the Bible by yourself, I never mean only by yourself, and that, but that is the starting point. And so, you know, you have two errors that occur, I think, around this. One is the person who thinks they can't do anything on their own. They only have to passively research receive um, interpretation and application from someone who is the teacher. And then the other is the person who thinks that all they need is themselves and the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And neither of those people has understood the purpose of a book or has understood um, the purpose of the church, frankly, because um, we are created to understand God in community with one another. Um, That's why we talk about, you know, different members of one body, because each of us is going to bring um, something that's needful to the others in in our understanding of of the God of the universe. Each of us has sufficient understanding for salvation and life and godliness, but we grow in our understanding um, in a shared uh, space. So what I find is that um, women are either overconfident in their approach to the scriptures because they think that the Bible is magical and the Holy Spirit will just tell them what they need to know, or they lack confidence because they know there are tools out there they're supposed to be using, but they don't know what they are, or they're not sure they're using them properly, so they don't even want to make a start at it for fear of getting things wrong. So we either think, I'll get it all right, and it's easy, or we think, I'll get it all wrong, and it's too hard. And the truth actually lies in between. The Spirit does empower our study of the scriptures. But because the scriptures are given to us in the form of a book, it means that we should expect that the typical rules that would apply to reading any book would certainly apply to reading this most important book of all. Yeah. Elizabeth, um, you taught for this course as well. So would you answer that in a different way? How would you answer that same question? Why is it important for women to study, to know how to study the Bible on their own? You know, I think it is... I would echo what Jen said. Then also, I think about learning to study the Bible on your own because we are constantly being inundated with information. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I like to say that our discipleship process is not neutral. You are becoming a disciple of someone. Um, And so the question is, who are you being formed to model or reflect? And so being able to study the Bible on our own gives us the strength to see well the other information that we're hearing and to see, oh, this doesn't match up with scripture because stuff sounds really good or makes us feel good. And we're like, oh, that's true. And it's like, actually, it's not true. It's so far from the truth. Um, But you wouldn't know that unless you knew your Bible. Uh, And so, you know, because we spend um, 
a lot of time scrolling through really Mm -hmm. wonderful curated posts and videos uh, (laughs) that we're able to have ears that can hear, oh, that's a little bit of the gospel, but they're adding to it. And I need to not pass that on to anybody else. Yeah. We've even, I've had conversations recently with some friends where we talked about not even necessarily bad things, but just little tiny things that we grew up hearing were in the Bible, but are not in the Bible, like Mary riding a donkey to Bethlehem. And we're all like, (laughs) yeah, she did. And then we're like, wait, when you read it, you're like, there was not a donkey. (laughs) But somehow we've all like grown up, just things like that. that, Don't um, take that donkey from me. What's the matter with you? (laughs) I know, like so Mm -hmm. many children play that role so well in their church nativity uh scenes. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, that really wasn't part of it. We like Mm -hmm. think that it was. And so there's so many things like that. That and there's worse things that can actually be yeah. harmful to believe yeah. are in scripture. Um, but we've just always been taught, and I don't think anyone was like meaning for it to be damaging to yeah. people, yeah. but it just kind of it just escalates as kind oh, of yeah. like the game telephone when yeah. you're like, I heard that in scripture it says this, and it just keeps going. Yep. And yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's another reason why it's so important mm-hmm. to be able to or, compare. It, and I think we're, you know, we're lovers of story. We love yes. yeah. story and narrative. And so, um, yeah, I think that a lot of times, especially in female spaces, we're so drawn to a person's story mm-hmm. that we don't necessarily run it through a filter of, wait, does that have anything to do with scriptural truth? Someone can be so likable that we we forget to weigh their words against their story sometimes. Uh, or... I think you can see in our culture too, in, in Christian subculture, we like um, story in different forms than book form. We like movies and we like podcasts. And so a retelling of what the Bible says is often more appealing to us. A dramatic interpretation is more appealing to us than the Bible itself. And um, that's on the one hand that can be understandable. It may be that some mediums are more um, accessible to us because we know the rules. Um, But that's why it's important for us to know the rules for books because um, the Bible is God's word and anything that is a derivative work from that can only be measured in its value when we understand the original itself. Yeah. And the Bible is pretty dramatic on its own. I don't feel like uh, we have yeah. to dramatize just a it. Much. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned a little bit about women and how we learn. So why is yeah. it important for women to learn from other women? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, Well, I think one of the most common pieces of feedback that I hear when I'm traveling or when I receive emails that are encouraging from women, and this is very encouraging to me, is they will say, I didn't really know I could do this until I saw you doing it. Mm -hmm. And um, not because even necessarily because someone had explicitly told them that they couldn't. It's just that I think we forget how often it is that we are listening to men do this Mm -hmm. work. And I'm thankful for the, you know, the male teachers who have, who have made an indelible mark on the way that I think and teach and speak and act and disciple others. Um, But the church needs both fathers and mothers. Mm -hmm. And I think in many cases, Cases, church mothers and daughters have not seen themselves in the family of God as critical to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. When it says go and tell, we're included in that, which means we need the skills and we need the, the vision for it. And so um, I think it's important because in many ways the, the, 
the female community within the church has been underserved by um, by women who are skilled at handling the scriptures um, because a generation before me couldn't perceive themselves in that role. I remember the first time I saw a female teacher teach the Bible and thinking, I get to do that? I could do that? That's not scandalous. Um, and so I think a big piece of it is just seeing someone else doing it and drawing encouragement from that. But in a very real on-the-ground way in the local church, um, even if we were to get over maybe some of the stereotypes around women teaching or women learning, um, all female spaces are spaces where women are going to be vulnerable and discuss in ways that they just are not going to when it's a mixed gender setting. And, you know, I, I say all the time, we need both. We don't just need pink right. spaces and blue spaces. We do need places where men and women are learning shoulder to shoulder. Um, but, but that will never mean that we don't also need spaces where we're learning in single gender um, opportunities because it's a different kind of vulnerability. It's a different kind of discussion than you're going to have. And I think it's a beautiful kind of different. Yeah. You know, when you talk about our need to have mothers and fathers um, in the church and just how our perspective as women enhances our understanding of God. Are there some through your study, um, just your experience as a woman and how you've come to understand scripture, maybe something that a man might not be so clear to pull out from the text. You're like, I see that. (laughs) And it has made you believe that God is more beautiful. Can you share maybe one thing? I think everybody who is listening who's done my Exodus study will know exactly what I'm going to say at this point. Because, you know, you read the commentaries that are, and and frankly, most commentaries are are written by men, and and that's okay. And they will say, to a man, as the phrase goes, um, Exodus is a birth narrative. Um, But then they're just not really necessarily as interested in exploring just how much of a birth narrative it really is. And even, you know, and then it carries forward into to the the New Testament where, um, you know, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in in the Gospel of John, and Jesus says, a man has to be born again. And we're so accustomed to the phrase born again that we've forgotten that it's actually a a metaphor for a real life event um, that affects half the population. Uh, You know, whether whether we ever become mothers or not, our bodies, you know, are built to tell us the story um, of recreation in that way. And so I do think that women do more naturally in our embodied experience understand understand um, the 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 metaphor of a birth narrative in a in a more um, robust and colorful way than perhaps our male counterparts do and I would argue that our male counterparts understand aspects of the Bible in ways that um, are more robust than we do because of their maleness otherwise we don't need each other and Genesis 2 says that we very much need each other so um, you know, that's not Gnosticism. Uh, it's not God telling just me something special. It's God telling half of the population of the church, you understand this metaphor in a fuller way. And it's telling the other half, and you understand this metaphor in a more full way. And maybe if the two of you were talking to each other, um, there would be shared light. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So we've been talking about women and theological education. This whole series is about Life of Women Academy, Mm -hmm. but how can women specifically use their theological educations, whether that's through seminary, they study on their own, or they take our Life of Women Academy courses? Mm -hmm. um, How can they use those in their everyday lives as disciples and disciple makers? Well, that's a... so. 
you know, you think about education in general and um, uh, education as a human right. Like, I think that's something that people don't necessarily think about, that um, if you want to keep someone from um, growing fully into their humanity, you withhold education from them. That's what we see in countries where there are um, governments that want to suppress a certain part of the population. And so think about theological education now. Um, if we want women to be a full, uh, to be full members of the household of God, we would want to be running toward them with theological education. And um, so then the how of how it gets used is it's as probably as unique as the individual herself. Uh, and a lot of times we start on this journey without knowing how it will be used, but knowing that it is useful and needful. And then we ask the Lord to show us where that's going to play out. And so for some of us, it will mean that we are serving in roles in churches where it is used as part of our staff position or in parachurch organizations. For some of us, it's going to mean that we're volunteering at Vacation Bible School. And we understand that starting with anthropology before we talk about the doctrine of sin, like telling a child who they are in, in, in their significance as a created um, uh, image bearer before we talk about sin. Um, so even little things like that, um, where a theological idea is going to impact just the day-to-day discipleship moments that we have, um, whether through service in our church or our community or within our own homes and within our own families. Um, this kind of education is going to shape not just the content, but the tone of the conversations that we have with unbelievers or with other believers who think differently than we do on secondary or third level issues. I think it brings a lot more graciousness to those conversations because it's going to make war on our sense that um, the Bible said it, I believe it, that's it because the Bible says a lot of things and often we only know a handful of them and those are the ones that we've been yelling about. So um, I do think that theological literacy and Bible literacy, um, if they are done right and at the right pace, will breed in us a humility that would be a beautiful thing to see grow in the church today. Yeah, I think about my own, I went to seminary and I didn't have a plan. I just did mm-hmm. it because I didn't have anything better to do, basically. I'm mm-hmm. not sure why they let me in, because that was basically what <laughs> well, I put on my application. Well, you were unemployed because you had an English <laughs> yeah. degree. So, I'm like, yeah. I have an English <laughs> degree, <kidding>. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so I just went, and I didn't have a plan. But I even thought, like, if God, if you only use this to, like, mm. further my own personal yeah. walk, yeah. then it's worth it. Mm. And that's, for a long time, that's basically what I assumed would be the outcome. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting a job at Lifeway and I use my theological degree as well as my English degree every day, which is a rarity, I feel like, in an occupation. But um, it's definitely something I was thankful for. And I think I hear that over and over from women. I mean, even if you just teach kids Sunday school, Mm -hmm. I'm a substitute teacher in the kids Sunday school. And I need to know what the Trinity is and how to like describe that and Mm -hmm. all that for five-year-olds who ask me questions. So I think it's super helpful no matter where you are. And, and I know you're, you also, 
uh, went to seminary with a similar plan to what I yeah. had. So how have you seen that yeah. play out? You know, it was, I just wanted to be a really well-educated Sunday school teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And my job, my hope was to go back to accounting. We've all seen how well that has worked. <laughs> um, but oh, I will give an account. I will. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. We see what you did. <laughs> but even in the, in the really small ways, right? So I have opportunities to teach and write, but just even conversations with the friends. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday and she sent me this text message of this uh, church she was thinking about attending. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, you might want to think mm-hmm. about these things uh-huh. because I have been trained to to see certain things and to be able to explain right. it. And so I've just seen even mm-hmm. a gift in being able to be in conversation with my friends mm-hmm. as they're trying to journey through and make sense of things. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I can call Elizabeth because she can help me journey along the way um, instead of them just trying to find some random person to talk yeah. to. So it's been a blessing yeah. for my community um, and some really informal ways, but beautiful ways. Mm-hmm. And you do mm-hmm. get, I get text messages yeah. randomly that'll be like, hey, do you know anything about this person? Or can you recommend uh-huh. a Bible study for my small group? And oh, like, yeah. And, um, but I love it. I mm-hmm. love it. I'm like, yes, of course. I will help out with this however well, I can. And I think it's not only, you know, like I think initially I thought, oh, this is about discerning truth from error, you know, like, mm-hmm. and there is a big component to that. Um, but it's also, so like there is a sense of like, oh, this, not that. But the this is so beautiful too, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's not just, oh, that's wrong. It's look how right and beautiful, like things like um, union with Christ. That's an Mm -hmm. idea that I had never thought about until I heard it taught on by someone who taught on it really well, my friend Kyle Worley Mm -hmm. and um, our friend actually, Kyle Worley. Uh, And and so um, on the one hand, hearing that beautiful teaching will guard me against error, but it also guides me into worship. And so I think that's the thing that, that's why it's good for everyone, right? Because the the punchline for theological or biblical education is not being smarter it's mm-hmm. being a worshiper the way that we were designed to be mm. love that Amen. well this is a very special episode of the marked podcast so we had to ask our our marked question but we have a twist to it how <laughs> has studying theology marked you in your walk with christ um it has given me um it has given me a framework for understanding the deeper things of God. Um, it invited me into a world that uh, I did not know was there. I I only understood, you know, small group discussions where everybody kind of uh, shares their own uh, opinion. And it invited me into a historic faith. I think that's probably, I wandered around to get to that answer, but it invited me into a historic faith in a time that, um, in a day and time where we are in a throwaway immediacy culture. And it said, no, there's actually something that was here before you and will be here after you. And it's beautiful. And I would say that's what, uh, that's what theological education has done. Love it. Well, thank you, Jen, for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Elizabeth, for co-hosting. And we will talk to our listeners next week. So we'll 
See you then. Well, I always say see you then, but that's not, <laughs> you know. We won't. We'll, we'll talk, we'll talk we won't. at you then. <laughs> I'm usually not the one to end this. Can you tell? Usually yeah. Kelly concludes yeah. the podcast because mm-hmm. I'm not very good at it. But um, we are thankful for you listeners listening in, and we hope that you will check out Lifeway Women Academy. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Jazzy Liz and at ED Hyman. Use the hashtag marked podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com slash podcast. And you can learn more about Lifeway Women Academy at lifeway.com slash academy. If you love the show, leave us an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to connect with us. See you next time.